Welcome into the Nebraska 24-7 podcast. It is Michigan State Week. This is definitely the first podcast we have done this week. Definitely. 100%. Are you lying? No. What are you, a cop? I'm not. I don't have to answer your question. Narc. Narc. (laughs) That's why I joined this team. It's all been building up to this. Bust you right on a live podcast. Not live, but taped. I'm not lying. I would never lie to our massive audience of uh, adoring Husker fans. Someone called you the pod father. No, uh, well they they called us. Us, okay. Yeah, not me. The the podcast. But no, um it is it's Michigan State week. Nebraska's coming off of a win against Illinois. We'll talk some basketball at the end of the podcast. We'll talk some recruiting. Oh. We've got all sorts of stuff. We'll get into to Brian about Michigan State and the respect that he has for what they built over there. I, me? Yeah. <laughs> no? I'm not, I'm not I thought pre- you had some respect. I'd have no notes say. prepared for that. Oh, but. my bad. Sorry. <laughs> that seems like something you may talk about later in the week on the Hypecast. Well, yeah, it's if possible. he ever gets his notes together. Let's save some of that. It'd be nice the... if he just came prepared. Yes. But as it is, let's let's uh, let's jump into this Illinois game. What stood out to you as Nebraska pulled away Saturday against the Fighting Illini? Divina Zigbo's speed, Lovey Smith's beard, AJ Bush. That was about it. All right, fair. (laughs) (laughs) Was the beard as good as you hoped in person? It it was. I didn't see anything get stuck in it. Um, I was wondering if, like, a balloon after a touchdown would, like, get caught in there and just kind of, like. Well, the static electricity would just draw the balloon in. Like a planet just sucking a moon into its orbit. Um,. Yeah, it was pretty pretty good, I think. He still continues to coach games like it's uh, 1992 in the NFC Central or something. Like, you know, you're in this shootout of a game, and you're going back and forth. You know Nebraska's going to score pretty much every time they get the ball. You have a fourth and four on Nebraska's 40 about. Yeah, let's punt it. Yep. Let's punt it and get a net of 20 on this. Let's, that's some sound football. <laughs> yep. That was that was a vintage Lovey Smith moment right there. He did the same thing a that couple years ago. That was when you knew Illinois was not going to pose a real threat to Nebraska on Saturday. Yeah, he did the same thing a couple years ago, remember? It was kind of a tight game in Lincoln, and he had like a fourth and one where they are down eight. He's like, yeah, let's punt it. We'll get it back. Then he didn't use his timeouts, and the game's all over. Well, the good news is, is he was able to take those timeouts back to Champaign with him. <laughs> those travel, you know. <laughs> they travel well. They travel well. You can stick them in your beard. <laughs> Just put them in the beard and... <laughs> How many timeouts does he have hidden in there? <laughs> He's got nine timeouts yeah. in that beard. <laughs> well, nine timeouts wouldn't have saved him on Saturday. Illinois' defense was not much of a match for Nebraska's offense. I think they'd scored in their first four possessions, if I have that uh, correct. And Nebraska moved the ball well on Saturday. They were able to find Stanley Morgan for multiple touchdowns. Divino Zigbo had two long runs. Adrian Martinez played pretty well. Other than that interception he threw into the corner on a ball that uh, he probably just needed to put a little bit more on. It was the first time, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's not even like he had a bad game, but it was the first time I saw him struggle with the conditions at Nebraska a little bit with the wind. When he had the wind, he wasn't able to get the ball placement where he wanted it on some of those throws. He's either too far out in front or he didn't put enough on it in the case of the, the one into the corner. 
So that was kind of an interesting takeaway for me. Is it was probably a good learning experience for him. And yet, despite that, he still finished what sixty eight percent. I was just going to say it's great that it shows, I guess, where the quarterback position is at for Nebraska right now. That we're discussing right. his use of the wind, and he finished twenty four of thirty four for three touchdowns, two hundred ninety yards, and one interception. But you know what I'm talking yeah. about, though, with some of those throws, is especially in the second quarter. I think when they were going towards the north end zone, uh, he struggled a little bit with that, but. Otherwise, I mean, uh, real solid performance on, on all fronts. I mean, the defense gave up a bunch of rushing yards, but they played fairly well at times. Uh, in the middle of that game, they took advantage of a few things. The special teams had their, you know, game of the year. All of the special teams highlights that will be on Nebraska's end-of-the-year recap video will come out of that Illinois game, I'm pretty sure. That was a hell of a play that White Mazur made, though. Like – as, as bad as Nebraska's special teams have been, I mean, the, the play that he made to, to keep that fumble alive, great play. Um, Markel Dismuke blocks a punt, and he wasn't even the guy that was supposed to block the punt. Like, it was set up for somebody else to do it. And He's like, why not me? Yeah, he basically took the ball off the guy's foot. Um, that was a – it, it was a get-right game for those guys. Yeah, I mean, they – it was all sorts of people. I mean, Stovall came up with the fumble – uh, Chase Erbach came up with a fumble by simply being the first guy down there and just letting the Illinois person muff it and then being right there to grab it. I mean, it doesn't get a whole lot easier than that. And you mentioned uh, Markell. And even the kicking game went pretty well. The coverage units have been solid. It was a, uh, like I, in the report card, it was an A. It was the first A of the special team's season, I'm pretty sure. Did you give a plus? Did you give a plus? Nah, I probably just gave it an A you got to give them a little curve there, don't you? That's, that's as good as it's going to look. I don't know. I'd have to look. I don't think I've handed out a whole lot of pluses this year. You're getting an A-plus. you really got to bring something. That's fair. But those were kind of the, the things that jumped out to me a little bit in that game. I thought we'd see more Maurice Washington, my bold prediction last week, and the hype cast was 200 yards from him, and it looked like the greatest prediction that one could have made. Mm-hmm three carries for him into that game and then that last carry which was like a 52 yard run or whatever it was I, went out. I was a little surprised that you stood up and thumped your chest as violently as you did after that 60 yeah. yard run that he had it was a little much yeah uh, well, you're sitting next to a guy you can't in a sweater pound the table you can't pound the table but nobody said anything that you couldn't pound your chest you were chest pounded yeah so i think well every time scott frost is asked about maurice washington he always says the exact same thing, like he's an amazing talent, but he needs that year with Zach Duvall. And I think you're seeing it as the season goes along. How many games have we seen where he he has a good start to it, but he kind of gets banged up, and it's this question on social media, is Maurice Hurd, is he going to come back? You know, And it's kind of the same rinse and repeat type of deal. And so I he just needs another year to add 15, 20 pounds. Yeah, I, I mean, I still think he's going to be really good for them next year, and you get him – uh, with Dedrick Mills, who's coming in for a visit this weekend and is a junior college best running back in the country. Uh, not coming in, you know, super fresh. I mean, he got used a lot at Garden City. <laughs> Ran him like 30 times a game. So Nebraska's, all tread off Nebraska's the 10 to 15 carries a game usage will seem very odd, I imagine, to, to one Dedrick Mills. But I, uh, I think that Maurice Washington's really going to have a nice – career at nebraska i don't know if he's ever going to be the guy but i i really think he's he's got super big play potential and you're going to be able to utilize that 
Do, do you think that there ever will be a no quote unquote guy like I? Think- this is as close as I. I mean, but you're gonna you're probably gonna have you know some more years where guys run for a thousand yards, but it doesn't. Even Divino Zigbo and Frost mentioned this. I want to say on Monday when he looked at the stats again. I mean, Ozigbo had what eleven carries in that game. Yeah, yeah. he had eleven freaking carries, and they would have gave him the ball twenty four times. I mean, who knows how many yards he would have ended with? He was ran as well as he has all year, which is impressive because he ran well against Purdue. He ran well against Northwestern. He ran well against Minnesota. I mean, he's just had a very very nice end of his season here. Adrian, I think, carried it more times. It's funny watching after his press conference on after the game, Adrian was standing up at the podium for a minute and he was just like looking at the stat sheet. <laughs> and he looked and he was computing the numbers of his at his rushing average. I don't know if they put it on there. He might have done it in his head. They might put it on there, but he averaged like four point three a carry. And he's just like, not good. Not good. Shakes his head and walks away. And I'm I he's just kind of a special guy. You can see why he's like a coach's dream where you have this great game, you know, most quarterbacks would be ecstatic about it. And he was like studying this one stat that wasn't up to his liking. I, it's did, just did you almost stand up and remind him that Sakiarta just figured into that number? Well, Adrian, it's not your fault. <laughs> Sakiarta just computed in that time, that final number. And you would have had more. I mean, he would have looked at you with a bunch of uh, reverence, too, because you would have been in your sweater vest. Yeah. <laughs> he would have been like, well, this guy in the sweater vest knows yeah. what he's talking about. This guy knows you would, on a stat call. You would trust the guy in a sweater vest, wouldn't you? Most oh, yeah. times, more times than not. I would think so. <laughs> Do you anticipate wearing that sweater vest again until next year? If if you guys want it, I will look, wear no, it. No, look, you fulfilled the obligation of the sweater vest bet. The rest is up to you. How did how did it go? How did it look? <laughs> you were involved in a pregame photo shoot, so I think it went okay. <laughs> that, that thing almost became a meme. Like it was, it was. I was really close. It's a great <laughs> photo for a meme. <laughs> we'll put it that way. Yeah, I think was it the, that feeling when you're covering an 11 a.m. kick and your team's on a bye on Sunday. Yeah. You were feeling pretty good about life. Yeah, you said that. You were pretty proud of that one. Yeah. It was good. <laughs> I stood up in the press box and pounded my chest about Well, where that. do you think I got it from? That's true. That's true. It's not like I just know these celebrations. I learned them from my elders. Very good tweets. So, what else do we want to get into from that Illinois game? Defensively, well, anything jump out to you besides the fact they forced several turnovers? Uh, well, we, we've had this old discussion. I think we've had this discussion more and been to the front of the line on this compared to anybody. Like things. Well, I don't know. Brian's not standing up and thumbing his chest <laughs> in we're, this conversation. We're to the front of the line on plenty of things. I just was trying to be humble for us. but This isn't the, the place to be humble. Oh, okay. But I would say we had the, we've had the discussion all along about how it's going to be interesting how people deal with this style of football in Nebraska. And I've, I think it's a fan base that is very accustomed, even through the bad football they've watched. They, when it's winning football, they still expect it to look a certain way. It's supposed to have a certain polish on the shoes that shines with the defense. And I think Schaefer said this, and I probably agree with him. I think it's a fan base that maybe sometimes would handle winning like 21 to 16 better than winning like 44 to 34, you know, or something like that. It's, it's just, they're not yet trained to it. I don't know if they 
ever will be completely, but I think people got to kind of get a little bit used to it. Completely It's agree. like tennis. They they hold serve, they expect a score, and then they, they Scott Frost is like, give me three breaks, you know, like break their serve three times and we can run away with the game. So you're saying they're like the tennis player in Wimbledon that basically just tries to take it to the tie break every time? No, because they like to win. Like he wants to win at seven five. He wants to get that. Like <laughs> maybe a s- my bad. The, the difference between the seven five and well, the seven six tiebreak is just there is a difference. The large, large rip. There, there, there is a difference because there's one turnover that, in there. That's like the one okay. break. You know, All right. I as like opposed it. to the seven six is just like, hey, we're gonna beat you forty eight forty five without ever stopping them. I mean, I know that you were. Probably busy as an all-metro wide receiver during that time, but did you also play tennis for Omaha North? <laughs> I did not, but I, pro- I probably could have been on the top on the varsity tennis squad at Omaha North, and that's not a brag. The athletic prowess is just incredible. No, that's not a, that's not a brag about me. <laughs> How would you have balanced it? Because it's, a, they it's probably, a spring sport, right? In no, it's, it's fall, isn't it? Tennis is? Yeah, I boys think, tennis in high school is oh, fall. I guess you could have fit it in then. Well, I think North... I that wasn't a brag. I think North probably could have used like two or three more bodies to fill out the varsity squad. But so, I mean, you couldn't be expected to. You were basically what led into to Niles Paul, if I recall correctly. You know, with, with well, Omaha North I, I, wide receiver success, tutored, tutored him a little bit. Yeah. Well, right, right. It's a young kid. Growing Taught him up. the routes. I yeah. think. Omaha really, I mean, before club, before yeah. wideouts, there was Brian Christofferson. <laughs> holding practices in Omaha, teaching route running. You teach them how to run the routes and then look good afterward. You know, showing up with that sweater vest and the tie, little little loose at the top. You don't want it tight all the way. You didn't wear a tie on on. The, yeah, that'll be the next move next year. Were you considering it at all? Thought about it. He did. I think you got to loosen the tie a little in that situation, don't you? <laughs> like you can't go. Do you also have to have the like Gene Hackman from Hoosiers like little rolled up paper that you just slap against <laughs> yeah, your hand? That would, that would be good. Kind of slap my knee every yeah. once in a while. Oh, four passes before a shot. All right, Brunts, <laughs> you got to get us out of this. I, I can't. A while. We're way down the rabbit hole. I are we still in Illinois? Yeah. Look, just take it somewhere. Okay. The ball, just you have it. I mean, the turnovers <laughs> were good. We like the turnovers. <laughs> I was a little concerned. The, I was a little concerned by how Nebraska just seemed flummoxed by the by like the zone read game. Like they haven't faced <laughs> it all year. Still, I mean, like you you see a little bit of the quarterback run game in practice, don't you? Nah, no. I mean, the scout team would be going. But scout a, team offense all isn't spring, running quarterback run game. All spring, a good a good chunk of fall camp. I mean, Matt Masker isn't running quarterback run game against them. But they saw it. Yeah, it was like seven Matt Master ago. wasn't on campus in the spring. Yeah, that was seven months ago. Patrick O'Brien was running it against him. Right. I mean, now he's they've seen be it. Running it at Colorado State. They've seen it. These seniors saw it their their first year when they were on the scout team. I mean, AJ Bush did sometimes ago. look like he was like a seventeen year old against like twelve year olds. Yeah, like with them. He trying was like to posting tackle. them up in the driveway. Yeah, there was a little bit of that. <laughs> I would say the more alarming thing, even more than the the zone read. You have him at third and twenty-one or whatever, and like the only thing he can do is take off and run, and he still takes off and run. You either didn't have a spy, or your spy wasn't a very good spy, 
and he still gets like 15, 16 yards on that play. Mm-hmm. That was the the un the non-designed quarterback runs were concerning to me because you knew that he wasn't going to throw the ball well and that their best bet to move it was going to be him running it on a third and long. I did enjoy the takes early in the game that didn't age well, though, or the, man, what would A.J. Bush look like in this offense? Why was that a thing? And then Illinois had to start throwing. and then You know what A.J. Bush looked like? He looked like every quarterback Nebraska basically struggled to develop between 2008 and 2014. Yep. That's what he looked like. I mean, he's a perfectly fine player. He's had a nice career. I'm glad that he found a place where he got a start and he got a play. But if you're looking at Adrian Martinez and then you're looking across the field wondering what A.J. Bush would be like in this offense, just go put on tape of Tommy Armstrong in 2014. There you go. Right? Like, am I wrong on that? That's probably not even fair to Armstrong. No. The, it the, That's happened a lot over the years around here where – Somebody who doesn't play quarterback gets built up into something they're not. And it's not even that, it's certainly not that person's fault, but it, it's usually, this happened with Breon Carnes when he was at Nebraska. That was a, one of the best examples. Like when Taylor Martinez, say what you will about Taylor Martinez, but there was a wide gap between Taylor Martinez and Breon Carnes. And I would see opinions all the time, like, oh, Breon Carnes, like after a bad game, you got to go to Breon Carnes. It's like, no, you don't. There's a, you're not, it's not going to go well. Yep. Usually said by people who don't, you know, cover the team very closely, but there you go. Well, do we, do we want to move out of Illinois? Did, did, I, did I get you away from that tennis conversation well enough? That did. Okay. It good. got me a little, cause I forgot about that whole narrative. Cause it we was, were, it was, it snuck up on you in that first quarter. And yeah. then by halftime it was, it was slowing down. Yeah. No, I, I think some people ran with it all the way through post game. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I mean there was there was that aspect of it too. Okay, but Nebraska has Michigan State this weekend. Michigan State bad offense. Nebraska good offense. Michigan State good defense. Nebraska bad defense. Should be fun, right? Snow potentially snow. I, I thought that moved out of the forecast. I wasn't informed of that. Right, well, let me. Let me look at our weather machine here. Well, you look you that talk up. About this. Well, I got I got a question for you. While he looks that up, someone asked it on our message board. What was the best catch against Michigan State? Um, your favorite moment was it the Riley catch or the Turner catch? Uh, well, they both have their merits. I mean, the the Michigan or the catch at Michigan State that Jamal Turner made. He basically caught it right in Schaefer's grill. I remember Schaefer's right down there. Um. I would have been on all of the late night talk shows if I would have just been the guy that lets himself get run over by Jamal Turner. Mm-hmm. He would have just smashed me. I'd have been in the hospital. Probably would have been preferable to our arrangements of whatever hotel we had that night anyways. <laughs> yeah. I feel like you could have caught him, though. Like you could have just <laughs> grabbed him. Instead, I just do. I knock him down like I did Amir on punts before a game once. Yeah. Where I thought I ruined his career. You drew the ire of Ron Brown. Yeah. <laughs> My fault. He went into the crowd. I was standing there. I was there first. Yeah. Anyways. Jamal's was more stylish because he caught it and because he did not run into Schaefer. He did that thing where he like went up and he kind of scaled the wall a little yeah. bit and then the, the, with his clip. Yeah, like a yeah and yeah. then he back and it was his first career touchdown. So was, he did it with some 
Some panache. Yeah, that was a word I was going to use, and then I was kind of questioning if I was going to use yeah, it. Yeah, right. just use it. Panache. The, the, the <laughs> Riley one was, as in, was more improbable just because, you know, they reviewed it, and you were definitely expecting that play to get overturned. Like, yeah. <laughs> and then it wasn't. Do we think that should have been a touchdown or no? I say no. No, probably not. But You know who benefited the most from that catch, though? Which Jamil Hill. DJ Cool. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that was when the let me clear my throat thing really got rolling. Yeah, it did. And it then that ended with DJ Cool playing a 10-minute yeah. set at Nebraska the following summer. We've been around a lot of random wins and late wins and everything. The post-game scene of Michigan State will be unmatched to me in terms of just like a team letting off as much possible steam after just a – horrendous season that featured a bad loss at Purdue, close losses to Illinois, Wisconsin, a Hail Mary, an overtime loss to Miami. Winning that game, which they still almost blew it because they they had a bad kick and then Michigan State gets the ball to midfield and then they had some horrible clock management. They uh, ran the clock out thing. on the last play. Yeah, yeah. and so um, the, the, the release of that team was, was incredible. As for the the catch in the moment, the Jamal Turner one, I'll never forget for just being able to stand right there. But I also think that was like underrated, the most Taylor Martinez experience game you could ever have. Oh, it was a beautiful Taylor Martinez You had that horrendous pick six. (laughs) You had him getting shot out of a cannon on a fake toss where he just runs a bootleg that I don't think was the design play. And he just takes off for like 40 yards and there's no one within 20 by the time he finishes. Like it was... You didn't even mention the best play of that game. What was the best play of that game? There's a play where Taylor Martinez fumbles the ball, mm-hmm. and like two or three different guys have a crack at it. Like a Michigan State guy looks like he's going to scoop it, maybe score. He can't get it. I think a Nebraska lineman, like maybe Jay Cotton, I'll just <laughs> pretend it was because that's fun, uh-huh. has a shot at it but doesn't get it. And then all it goes through all these people, and Martinez picks up his own fumble and darn near almost – like houses it. A guy trips him as he gets it. I, I forgot about this play but, entirely. Yeah, it was like in the second or third quarter. But yeah, that game was phenomenal. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it, one of the most. It, it, was a, it was a signature Taylor game. Yeah, it was an encapsulation <laughs> of his entire career. Was that game? It's like the biggest what if of what can this guy do? I guess you could call that a <laughs> signature Taylor game. Looks around for. Huh? That's an uh, inside that's, joke between uh, two guys going on. I don't know what it is. Two guys that are forced to cover a game in Indiana. Tommy Armstrong touched it. He has a the, the throw, the, yeah. the touchdown to Stanley Morgan that should and, have been picked uh, off. Danny Langsdorf. Danny Langsdorf says, I guess you could call that, kind of looks around, a signature Tommy play. <laughs> <laughs> and he's kind of waiting to see if anybody would react. Yeah. Did you give him anything? There should have been a laugh track. Like, <laughs> At that moment. For that season? Yeah. Uh, well, it is it's 30 degrees is a high on Saturday. <laughs> oh, yeah, you got the weather report. It took you that long. To find <laughs> uh, I was sitting on it. I mean, okay. you were hamming it up over there. Sorry, that's true. Just There's one thing I do. <laughs> yeah, that's what you're known <laughs> for. Hamming it up. Uh, no snow expected, just cloudy mm-hmm. and 30 degrees. Goes from 58 on Friday to 30 on Saturday. So that's, a, that's exciting. Another 11 a.m. kick. With twenty degree temps for the fans that'll be there, it'll be a good crowd. Yeah, well, last game of the year, people mm-hmm. want to go. Senior day, 
senior day. Do we have any good senior memories? Okay, yeah. What do you make of the senior class? Or uh, memories? I mean, you have kind of runs the table. You got people like Divine that stick out for hanging around and it never seemed like he was ever going to be the guy and then he got the opportunity to be the guy and now he's, you know, running with it. And it's been impressive to see him do that. You have someone like Trey Neal who just showed up for this season and is going to be, I think, still an important part of uh, the transition for these guys as they go forward in this defense. I mean, I I don't think he's been great by any means, but he's helped them out. He's basically, I think, helped the mentality and the mindset of those guys in the secondary. You have emotional leaders like Mick Stoltenberg. You have guys like Luke Gifford, whose career in Nebraska, I think, is uh, you know one of those really great stories where this is a guy that when he committed all year long, he was the first commit in that class, nobody ever talked about him. He gets to Nebraska, nobody's talking about him then. He's a redshirt freshman. Nobody's talking about him at that time. He moves over to linebacker, and he puts some weight on, and now he's their best pass rusher. I mean, he's been a very good player for him this year. He's not, you know, going to go down in the, the Hall of Fame of great defensive players, but in this transition year, he's been a very vital piece. You have Gerald Foster, who's a multiple-year starter, Tanner Farmer, who gets to the pulpit every every press conference and started at center and guard for Nebraska. He basically resurrected his career that was on life support. I mean, a lot of these guys hung in through some crappy seasons and bad personal moments and they're not going to finish with the bowl game and the, you know, great moment to finish their career, but they're still going to be part of what seems like a stepping stone for the rest of this program. That's why these last two games are so huge because a story is like in the system that everybody wants to write. It's basically like you can't publish it yet where like, okay, the seniors have, they, they set the tone, you know, and we, we kind of get those quotes, but it feels like they got to, I don't know, saying they got to win both of these games, but they got to get at least one of them, I think, to kind of make that legit, yeah. you know, I'm, Otherwise, it's going to end up three and nine. It's going to, it'll quickly go. Well, that was about the worst record they've had. So let me ask you this: What would be the difference between the seniors that helped finish off 2015, where they went six and seven, they got that bowl game at five and seven, they beat UCLA, and the seniors now? Is there? I I guess what people would say the difference is is the belief, which nobody knows for sure but on the outside that there's a lot more that guys didn't really believe necessarily in where it was headed Mm -hmm. even as they were going out the door I think you more than ever have heard seniors in this class say yeah they're going to be a top 10 team you know in a couple years and I want to say that I had a part in getting them down that path to being a top 10 team so I do I think that is a genuine belief from guys like Gerald Foster because he's so strong about it he's like quote me every time on that i think they're going to be a top five team um in the direction it's going and that's the difference probably just looking at the senior who would have been the senior class on that 2015 team to see you continue so. oh and i'm I, not i'm not saying also it's, let's say they don't win either of these games you know and they're close games but they lose them i'm not saying there's not still some parts of that story that don't exist a guy like stanley morgan 
gave everything he had, you know, this year, no matter what the record ends up. And you got to appreciate that. I just do think it'll, it'll take a little shine off of it. If, if this doesn't finish on a kind of a winning streak, like people are hoping. Right. I, I have such a hard time mentally grasping the idea that Stanley Morgan will have three losing seasons in his four years in Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Because it's, it's just, the guy's so competitive and he, you know, he plays through, I imagine, a lot of injuries we never hear about. He tries to win every rep, every opportunity. Uh, you know, it just seems bizarre to me that he'll go down as Nebraska's best receiver, even for a short period of time, before J.D. Spielman demolishes all of his records. And basically three out of the four years are three of the worst years of the last 50 for Nebraska football. Yeah, going back to your question about that senior class in, in fifteen, I, I think the reason that they're not—I don't—they're not thought of in, at any way the same. And I, I think part of it is is going through some of the names in that senior class. Well, not many of them played. Not many of them played. Not many of them were relied upon. Um, but you, the junior class that year was who I think probably had a little bit more of a bigger. I mean, Westerkamp was a junior that year. Well, guys that left. I mean, you lost Valentine and Collins, Collins who were both, both juniors. Left. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, Foltz was a junior. Foltz was a junior that year. Nate Gary was a junior that year. Um, I mean, you had a number of seniors that year who quit or kicked off the team, uh, basically fell by the wayside um, for various issues. I mean, just looking at that senior class, I mean, you'd probably say Byerson Cockrell, Amani Cross, Janovich. Imani Cross was a Divino Zigbo of that year, too. I mean, he basically was kind of who toted the rock late in the year. and Yeah. I mean, that that's it. I mean, that's yeah. those are the guys that you would say, like, okay, those were the Ryan Reeves. I mean, beyond that, it, there wasn't a whole lot of guys that were kind of paving the way, I guess, for what was ahead. That's fair. What I like about this class is – when it was 0-6 or 0-5, Stanley Morgan's the best example. His stats weren't that great, you know, four or five games into this year. And from all accounts, he didn't let that deter him from coming to work and kind of getting guys going. And um, I really respect that because I think they needed that at the top from their peers, like the group who'd been there the longest, to to keep driving and show these guys, like, hey, let's let's keep pushing that something good's going to happen pretty soon so I think they deserve a lot of credit for that and also after the Ohio State game I think this team turned a corner I wrote it last week I think we got past the moral victory part with this this class helped us get past that where it felt like we'd been evaluating Husker football for a while on oh they were close they played hard that was a good effort and after the Ohio State game I really felt that change like in the post game and even these last three games, I think we're now back to evaluating Nebraska football under did they win, and if they didn't win, it wasn't a success that day. And that's where it needs to get back to. And I thought they turned a corner a couple of weeks ago, and the seniors are a big part of it. Yeah, I, I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me. And they have the opportunity to go out with two wins, and effectively next week is their bowl game. Just, you know how I assume they're going to address it. We'll uh, we'll obviously be able to dive more into Iowa week when it gets here. But I am kind of curious what 
Frost will be like for that game if there's any sort of change, if they do anything different, or if it's just the usual week. With Iowa? Yeah. I think I, – I don't know that they'll publicly state it, but I feel like they're going to meet Iowa more on the idea. Like I feel Iowa has made Nebraska a big game in their camp. And I, I get the sense it's going to be that way around here this year, yeah. bigger than it has been probably. Well, there's a lot of – I mean, all, a lot of the staff coached in northern Iowa. Like, they've got friends mm-hmm. there. They've got people there that give them grief for coaching in Nebraska now. Like, this game for them right. will be a little bit more personal than I think what it's been for some of the coaching staffs in the past. I mean, not just Riley's staff, but even Bo's staff too. Do we want to get into to more Michigan State, or do we save that for the hype cast? Jump into recruiting and then basketball. Uh, let's just let's let's do some recruiting. Talk some recruiting. Well, they got seven official visitors for this weekend, which is a little lower than I think that they were shooting for, but the 11 a.m. kick dictated that some of it. Three of the guys already committed to Nebraska. Those would be Mosai Newsom, who is a defensive end from Waverly, Iowa. Iowa. Waverly Shell Rock, Iowa. He has uh, been committed to Nebraska since Big Ten media days. Yep, and you interviewed him July. in our hotel as we yeah. were going over. Uh, and uh, this is his second visit out. He came for the Colorado game. He's a pretty quiet kid. No real concern about him going anywhere else. This is his visit. And it's a good time to get him in because Ty Robinson's coming in as well, a defensive end out of Arizona. Those two got to know each other a little bit and have been friendly since the spring game in April. And Ty Robinson, one of Nebraska's top recruits, in this class, so he's certainly someone that they will be pushing for. The other committed guys, real quickly, Dedrick Mills, who we mentioned running back out of Garden City. He is uh, coming in for his official visit. And then the other commitment is Ronald Tompkins, the running back out of Georgia. Unfortunately, had another ACL tear, his other knee this time. He's now torn both in subsequent seasons. Nebraska's sticking with that scholarship. I think they're still pretty excited about what Tompkins can bring should he stay healthy. And he's going to have a long time to get healthy i don't think they're going to be counting on him in 2019 i think that he's also someone that uh, can help them in the state of georgia which they are recruiting heavily and we'll have miles farmer visiting as well as six foot three 180 pound defensive back at a westlake high school in atlanta he is one of the other official visitors and then they have a junior college linebacker drew mathis is coming in from california i believe is where he is at currently He's an inside linebacker. I think this is one of the more underrated needs that Nebraska has uh, for next year. I think they need somebody besides Mo Berry. I don't know where Will Honus is going to be at in terms of his recovery. And I think it's unfair to expect either Jackson Hanna or Nick Henrich to be physically ready and mentally ready to handle what's a tough spot in the middle of that defense in a 3-4. So those are your visitors for the, the weekend. I don't think I missed anybody. Some good unofficial guys too, right? Yeah. Do you want to hit on those? Well, I was setting you up, but you can pass the ball back to I me, did. and I'll take a contested shot here. <laughs> it was uncontested, but I thought that I should work on getting assists. Yeah. Uh, well, the biggest one, probably Turner Corcoran. Again, uh, top 100, 2020 offensive tackle. Out of Fifth Lawrence, visit Kansas. since the spring game. Yeah. Basically, I mean, at what point do you make enough unofficial visits to where your mail starts getting sent to a place? Because it seems like he's been up here darn near every weekend. Um Ohio State offers, offers from everybody who's somebody uh, in college football, and Nebraska's really done a good job of recruiting him, really got in on him early. Fair to say their top 2020 target right now? 
based on need Turner? position? Yeah. Uh, either him or the kid from South Dakota, Nash Hutmacher, the the nose tackle. I think those would be your your one two at this point. I mean, you really can't go wrong when you're talking about a pair of six foot four, six foot five guys that can help you on either side of the the ball. Real quickly before I forget again, I forgot to mention Lloyd Summerall, the outside linebacker, defensive end from Lakeland High School in Florida. Real interesting target. Reminds me a lot of Caleb Tanner. Nebraska hopes that recruitment goes a lot like Caleb Tanner. Florida, Auburn also involved. Miami, Florida State looking to get visits. So this is a big opportunity for Nebraska this weekend to sell a position of real need outside pass rush. That's actually his first official visit too, isn't it? I think he's just I think made so. unofficial. I think he's taking them all here towards the end of the year. A couple other unofficial visitors to keep track of. One, Josh Volk, a Offensive guard, 2020 out of Iowa, was over here for Nebraska's camp, a uh, big man camp in the summer. He's out of Cedar Rapids, um, three-star kid. He'll be here for this game. Uh, he's got Iowa, Iowa State offers. And 2021 defensive end TJ Bowlers out of uh, near Amana, which is right outside Iowa City. Uh, his dad played at Iowa, I believe, with Eric Chenander. Uh, he's going to be a, a national-type recruit. Real big physical kid that also runs track. Uh, he's going to be making the trip over as well. So they, they're, I think, as much as you can for an 11 a.m. kick, probably maximizing things. Yeah, they've got some guys that won't be there right at kickoff too. And so that's, that's not ideal for them, but they're still going to be there for most of the game. I think the latest guy would be coming in midway through the first. So, you know, and Nebraska plays long games anyways. So if they if they get the ball first and then they just throw it a bunch and the clock never really gets a chance to get running before Michigan State tries to bleed it out, maybe I'll get there in time. It's part of a recruiting plan, you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> they changed their game style just so they can make sure one kid can watch them. That would go well. It uh, it it's an opportunity though. The last one of the year where they're going to sell off the the stadium and the atmosphere and the fan base. They've done a great job as we've hit on in this podcast and on the website about selling in season, which is something that's a lot harder than people realize. And uh, I think they're going to have some success with some of these guys. If I look through that list, I mean, I think they're going to get Ty Robinson. I've been on record kind of saying that. I know they're playing from behind a little bit with USC at the moment, but I think they're going to win that. And you look at Drew Mathis, I mean, I think he's going to see opportunity to play pretty early in his career uh at the next level and i think nebraska can sell him too so those are two of the the uncommitted guys miles farmer and lloyd summerall i think are going to take visits through most of december so that's going to make it a little bit harder with those guys they're going to be fairly coveted ty robinson has a visit to alabama so that's going to be difficult but i i think that if you're looking for a commitment coming out of the weekend mathis if you're looking for a commitment just in general out of those four mathis and robinson Mathis has other visits still on the docket. Does he? Right? Yeah, I think he's going to TCU. He's been to Illinois and maybe Baylor, I think, was the the one I, that he had set. I feel like Nebraska could probably make those visits go away if it goes well for him. I mean, I just – you see those opportunities uh, and you're a junior college guy. I mean, I, I'd have a tough time imagining that you're looking at both Baylor and TCU and you feel the same. I mean, he might be a kid from Texas. I'm not entirely sure where he's from. He's a Southern California kid. Yeah, so uh, that's not going to have any sway for him. Those two teams play each other this weekend in a game that I have circled on my uh, degenerate sheet. So TCU and Baylor? Yeah, if you cared. 
You don't, but that if is, he did. That is a degenerate sheet yeah. right there. <laughs> Baylor's favored by one and a half. <laughs> yeah. How are they? Are they good this year? I, I, Baylor? I really go out so of my I've way watched, to avoid Big 12 conversations if I can, but let's go down that road. I've watched a fair amount of the Big 12 uh, recently because of the degenerate sheet. <laughs> and Baylor is a, a solid team. I think Matt Rule's a really good coach. I think a program that goes and buys him out of Baylor is going to get a really good coach. I don't imagine he's going to stick around there very long. Um, What's their record? That's they're all, five and four right uh, now. Okay, I'm good. And then, <laughs> oh, that—that's all I wanted to know. Well, I didn't know if like that was indicative of how you felt. How about many returning him. starters no. next year, Mike? <laughs> they're a super young team. <laughs> they got a really good quarterback that Nebraska kicked the tires on at one point. Who was that? Charlie Brewer out oh. of. Uh, Westlake down and he would have been the quarterback of Brendan Hymas. Oh. At the Lake Travis. Lake Travis. Lake Travis. Um real good player. Gonna be a uh a guy that throws for like six thousand yards in Big Twelve football here in a year or two. Iowa State also good in the the Big Twelve. That's what I understand. And they play Texas. And that's also circled on the degenerate sheet. Iowa State getting three points. I feel like you should want those points if you're gonna and you can hear all about that on the Mike Schaefer Bad Beat Podcast. <laughs> that should be a thing. It really should. It should be five minutes long. The, the Bad Beat Minute. Every every Sunday. Just we, we should start doing that. Just give you one minute to just talk gambling. I'm, I'm red hot down lately. It's been going well. and I have no complaints lately. Early in the year, I had many complaints. You heard about them a lot. Yes. So, Should we uh, move tra- away from my degenerate habits and get into the fact that I won money on Nebraska basketball yesterday. Should we get to the Jack Mitchell Nebraska basketball hour? <laughs> we should be bringing him in. Friend of the pod, Jack Mitchell. Um, fist pumping as he's hearing this right now. So Seton Hall, Nebraska handled them pretty easily for the most part. They overcame so back into New Jersey. They overcame the pirates and the pirates and stripes in, uh, what I would say was probably one of the more poorly officiated games that I've seen in a while. Um, never really liked to get into officiating, but that was pretty lousy. Um, but Nebraska, to their credit, you know, you, Seton Hall closes to within two after a technical foul. Uh, Did Miles ever say who the technical was on? No, I think there's it was some on. dispute as to whether it was him or the bench. Yeah. Well, apparently the lengthy delay that they had looking at the monitors was because the referee's whistle didn't stop the clock, so they were trying to figure out what, uh, how much time to put on the clock, but oh. that took way too much time. I we thought. wondered up in the cheap seats if he was... Uh, You're in the 200 level, though, right? Right, yeah. You're in the... Cheapish seats. You're in the moderately priced seats. I was seats. in a box last night, but... Whoa! Yeah. We should have led with that. the 200 level. Still. Um, you can see everything from up there. Yeah, you're like a gargoyle perched on. on the edge of a building. I don't have any complaints. Um, free food? Yeah, you get free food in there. Well, someone's paying for they, it. It was got, free for me. They got taps on in there. No. If they did, it would have been a better experience all the way around. Okay. Uh, also, a little breaking news. If they did, yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't be the one breaking it either. Um, the we thought the delay was because they were checking to see if Roby hit him in. With an elbow or something. He didn't even hit him at all. There was no contact. Yeah. So. Oh, what a terrible call. That was a five-point swing. Or seven-point swing. Seven. Yeah. So what did we learn last night? 
about Nebraska basketball. I think we basketball. learned that Nebraska basketball is good. They didn't play well. They beat a team that is a 14-16 to 16 win team, I think, overall. Uh, you know, a below-average Big East team. They beat them by 22. They never really, I mean, they trailed once in the whole game. Uh, it never really felt like it was going to be, you know, that concerning other than that one brief moment with the technical and then James Palmer hit the big three to put him up five and just never really got that close again. And I, I think that if you're a Nebraska basketball fan, that should give you should make you feel pretty well. They didn't play that well on Saturday or excuse me, last night and they didn't shoot that well. They didn't uh they didn't really take advantage of some opportunities and yet they still ran that thing out to a twenty some point win. And once Palmer started hitting some shots, it looked like a little bit different of a team. They they won the battle on the boards, and they played pretty – they got outscored in the paint, but it got better as the game went along. And he did that with Brady Hyman and Tanner Borker, Borchard playing 24 combined minutes in that game, which that to me was a little bit overlooked in that game where – I mean, Roby's going to have foul trouble. Like, that's something that Brass has been working on with him a lot. And, you know, having those guys come in and, and, you know, play well enough and then having Isaac Copeland really kind of take away the the pick-and-pop game that Seton Hall kind of had going a little bit too, I I was – that was probably the most impressive part to me aside from the way that Nebraska really just kind of, you know, decided to pull away and and did. But – you know, the, the depth up front, I think, has been was a concern coming in. I know that Tim Miles is very concerned about Nebraska's ability to rebound the ball. And they did really well against a, a Seton Hall team that was bigger than Nebraska and was a little more athletic. Was frankly playing harder than Nebraska yeah. in that first ten minutes of the game, I think. I like that everybody did their job. Like everybody that came into that game, usually there's somebody comes off the bench in a Nebraska basketball game, you're like, Ugh, this <laughs> They need to get him off the floor. Feel free floor. to cite the numerous examples. I'm not gonna say names, but you'll watch it. For, you'll watch it for like 60 seconds, and you're like, they gotta, get, they gotta get somebody else in. They gotta get somebody else over to the scorers table. And you didn't feel that way, even when like Hyman was out there, you know, and you could tell he was adjusting to the speed of this type of game and stuff. But he wasn't just out of place or anything. And Borkart, I said a couple of weeks ago, I like him, and I think he's gonna be important because he's that guy who comes in for eight, ten minutes and just kind of holds some pieces together for you sometimes. What I like about Hyman is he's not a zero on the offensive end. He can shoot it. Yeah, and he's he's comfortable or willing to do it, too. I thought he – I didn't expect much from him when he came in, and he he impressed me. And real quickly, the other thing that kind of jumped out to me, it looked like Isaac Copeland is attacking the basketball on rebounds more than he ever did last year. He's healthy. I mean, that's... yeah. I mean, he was he was all over the boards. He finished with a double double. I'm pretty sure. I mean, it was a a nice game from him. Glenn Watson had a good run in the first half when the rest of the team wasn't scoring. He put some points up, and then he kind of disappeared a little bit. But, but, but Glenn's doing the things right now that I mean, he, he's filling the stat column. I mean, he, he's going to finish with four or five rebounds. He's got I think he had eight assists last night. He had 10 big points in that first half when Nebraska really needed somebody to, to get going, and Palmer was kind of struggling out of the gates. And I, I think that, you know, we, we've talked a lot about how Glenn has to get back to that sophomore year. Glenn shoot better from the outside, and I think he does, but he's making those smallish plays right now that, you know, I, I think are 
are winning plays that are helping Nebraska right now. I mean, his his role on the defensive end last night too, and kind of shutting those guys down late for Seton Hall was huge. I mean, I, I think they scored 11 points over the final 13 minutes of that game, uh, and, and Nebraska really just kind of salted that thing away. So it's you know James Palmer's kind of I don't know if he's struggling from the outside. Maybe that's a little bit of a concern right now, but. I mean, he had the quietest 29 points I think you'll probably ever see. I say that a lot about him because he does much so much work at the free throw line. But, you know, Glenn scoring the way he was, Copeland too, with, with kind of that, you know, 15-footer from the elbow, that can buy time to get Palmer going. And, and they did that even with Roby on the bench with, with the foul trouble. Yeah, I thought Palmer was impressive because you start 0-8, 0 for 8, and you're like, okay, this is going to be one of those nights where he ends up with 10 points, and he just quietly kind of hung with it, and then he got hot there for a stretch, you know, where he hit a few threes, and even after they, he hit the three that got taken away yeah. right off the off yep. the bad call, and he came back on the very next possession, I he think, and drained one, and that kind of was like, okay, see you later. You guys I, see him dance? Yeah. I want more dancing. <laughs> more dancing? Yeah. I'm here 100% for James. You saw him dance yeah, after that? Yeah. yeah. It was a nice little dance. The reason I love James Palmer is he has the swagger of no Nebraska basketball player I think we've ever seen. <laughs> he's talking massive amounts of trash, and he's willing to to celebrate. I like it. Well, you need you, that. Yeah, you do. You need, you need the guys. Tim Miles said this a few years ago when he had that good team that don't care – to get caught up in the woe is me of Nebraska basketball history. It's not a thing to them. It's like, yeah, I wasn't there for that. This is going to be different. And I think he's got kind of that attitude, it seems like. I think we would be remiss if we didn't also bring up the fact that, uh, you know, around the Big Ten that Michigan's pretty much went into Villanova and blew some doors off uh, in that game. I, I think – so when you kind of look at you see what Indiana, Indiana did to Marquette, yeah. yeah, I mean, when you kind of look around the conference, it's going to be really interesting to see where Nebraska kind of stacks up because as, as shaky as the Big Ten was last year, and the fact that they only got four bids, it's that that top like five or six teams in the in the conference, I think, is going to be really interesting to see how that shakes out because I think the the Big Ten is going to be significantly improved from what it was a year ago. Yeah. I'm a, I, I feel like Nebraska is winning less games in the Big Ten, and they're going to have significantly more respect coming through the conference season. Well, and, and the, I mean, winning games like they did last night, that's what they didn't do last year. Right. Uh, I mean, you're only a year removed. Wait, you, you don't remember that riveting Boston College win? The St. John's game where... Well, that was on the road. Where they were pretty much like did everything but throw confetti in Nebraska's <laughs> players' faces in that game. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean that it's what a year from that. I mean that, yeah. that this is a different team. No, you're you're 100% right. You're 100% right there. Look, and I think I mean everyone's going to get into this mindset, not everyone, but people get in this mindset of, well, this doesn't matter until they win a tournament game. And I think that's unfair cuz I think you have a great opportunity to watch fun basketball which doesn't come around Lincoln a whole lot. I mean, these guys can score. These three straight games have gone 80 points. Uh, I don't know how often that's happened in non-conference Nebraska basketball history, but in three games in which they've beaten a team by 20 or more, I mean, it's, this stuff doesn't happen a whole lot. So I think people should just kind of like sit back and enjoy it and let March happen when it happens. I've watched a lot of Nebraska teams where if there was a dunk, it was like, whoa. <laughs> I mean, you 
that everybody got pretty enthused about just a breakaway dunk. And then Roby throws that one down or, you know, with his wingspan last night, and it's just like, okay, that's different, you know? Yeah. I'm old enough to remember when Jason DeRusso bringing down the backboard standard was pretty much the greatest thing that ever happened in Nebraska <laughs> basketball. So Was that the same game where someone threw a shoe at a shot? Uh, was it? I remember the shoe throwing. I don't know if it was the same yeah. game. I thought it was at the same season. I'm almost positive it was the same season, but yeah, that uh, memories. Yeah, that dunk wasn't nearly as impressive as Roby's last night. What's the record? Is Nebraska going to set a record for block shots? Because it sure feels like it. They're long. <laughs> I mean, it is like nine different guys were blocking people. I'm pretty sure Glenn blocked somebody last night. James Palmer swatted that uh, three point attempt. Not one you usually see out on the perimeter in that way. James Palmer went for a dunk and got blocked, and he looked kind of shocked by the whole experience when he was laying on the floor. It got quiet in there right after that because there was kind of like this, whoa, and everybody. (laughs) Well, he looked like he was going to sky this thing and throw this monster dunk down, and then all of a sudden he's just laying on his back. You could tell everybody in the arena felt kind of bad for him. It's like, that's that's one of their guys, you know, and he's just kind of sitting there like, oh, man, (laughs) that happened in front of everybody. Well, he put it together in a second half. Nothing. I got nothing. Nothing more to put together to this podcast. When Brunson's just done, he just stares at you like, (laughs) whatever. It's your job. Take this thing home. And I will. We're going to go home. But not before I tell you about why you should be visiting Husker 24-7. We've got tons of great content on the website. There's only two games left, which means there's only so many practice reports, which means there's only so many opportunities that you're going to hear from Nebraska's coaches before the end of the year. We'll be at all of those. We'll have all of that at Husker 24-7. We'll have great post-game coverage. There'll be plenty of recruiting this weekend. Uh, maybe Nebraska gets another commitment, oh. gets the ball rolling again. We shall see. And if they don't, guess what? It's going to be recruiting from now until February. I'm ready to go. I'm stocked up on canned goods. I'm not going to leave the house once the end of the Iowa game happens. I'm just going to be ready for recruiting all the time. And all of that stuff will be found on Husker 24-7 as well, plus basketball coverage, which apparently is going to be fun this year. As noted by that 15-minute conversation about how much fun the basketball team is. You can get that, too. Plus, BC will do some stuff, probably. <laughs> probably. <laughs> and you can find that at Husker 24-7 as well. We'll catch you next week.